And welcome to yet another podcast of The Dice Are Screaming. Ah! Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And together we form the two-headed literary Eden of gaming podcasts. I beg to differ. No, I have a far lower opinion of us. We are the Star Wars Christmas special of gaming podcasts. Yeah, you wish you could forget us, but somehow we linger on. <laughs> yeah, well, once once you know it exists, there's no erasing it from your memory. No matter uh, how hard you try. Solo sings. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, uh, if only he would have done the uh, Steve Miller band, Space Cowboy. Oh. Oh, see, now that would have been much better. Yeah. Oh, that that would have been more fitting homage. But, uh, you know, the, the critical error was they hired Bruce Blanche, which, you know, there is a crime against God and man. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, boy, we're going to get some mess- blowback from this one. Oh. <laughs> Wait, I don't think there's going to be any. How many Bruce Blanche fans can there actually be? You might be surprised. <laughs> we're going to find out. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Fans of Bruce Valanche, you are entitled uh, to to go ahead and bend my ear on this one. Uh, if, if I've if I've failed to recognize his genius, then so be it. But uh... <laughs> yeah, so we're coming at you. We uh, missed Tuesdays. It was kind of a hectic holiday thing. So oh yeah, we're uh, kind of staggered in our uh, format right now. So we're just going to get back on track with a. Reform Friday with a rant for you. So we got that lined up, so hopefully you'll stick around for that. And we have some call-ins. Yeah, Jason from RPG Nerds Variety Podcast, if I can speak. Uh, He uh, listened to our Star Wars podcast, and he has some thoughts to give to us and share with us as well. So take it away, Jason. Hey, guys. Jason here from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Yep, that's not the first time I've been wrong, and it sure won't be the last time. But thank you for being gracious and pointing out that I was wrong about the wagon train to the stars comment. You know, as I mentioned, I wasn't positive, so thank you for getting the truth out there, and thank you for all the effort you do put into your podcast. You know, I grew up in, I, I saw the Star Wars films in the, you know, in theater as well. I grew up in the Wilmington, Delaware area, and at that time in my life, I was in the Wilmington, Delaware area when those came out, or, you know, all three films. And I remember seeing Star Wars in the theater multiple times over multiple years, you know, the original movie. So I don't know if it was re-released, you know, again prior to Empire and again prior to Return of the Jedi. That's my feeling. But I know there were different summers where it was released different times. And that very well may have been a regional thing. And it may be we were going like up towards Philadelphia to a bigger city to do that. I don't remember now. My memory is not the same as it ever was. But I do know it was re-released a little bit. But it might have been regional. So my preferred version of Star Wars, I know this probably won't be a surprise, is the de-specialized edition. Now, I, don't, I know you can't legally buy that. I know you have to find it on the internet. Yada, yada. And I would never tell anybody to break the law. But... If you ever do have a chance to watch the Despecialized Editions, they have them for all, all the original trilogy. It's a labor of love where they went back and took out all the extra junk, and they're the movies we saw in the theater. The original Ewok song, you know, all the original stuff, original special effects, 
So that's out there on the internet. Again, I would never tell anybody to break the law. So somebody that, you know, I remember the holiday special on TV when it came out. I remember the Ewok movies. So the new movies are fine, whatever. I kind of more or less agree with their opinions. But for me, my personal canon stops with West End Games. And it stops with, like, the Ewok movies. And it, you know, Heir of the Empire, I think, is the movie they should have made instead of the prequel. They should have made the Heir of the Empire movies instead of the prequels. To me, I really prefer that version. And the Clone Wars, I really prefer those versions of the Clone Wars to what they end up doing. But whatever. You know, if people like the new ones, that's awesome. Got no way with that. Mandalorian... I've seen the first couple episodes. They're interesting. I will not give any spoilers, but I do want to make one quick comment with Mandalorian. I think the special effects of the Mandalorian are top rate, and I'm happy where the story is going so far. Interested to see how it progresses. It's interesting. They're not holding themselves to a time time frame for the episodes. So, like the first one was 47 minutes, the second was half an hour, and. I thought the second episode, the story felt very small. It felt like a story you'd see on Sci-Fi Channel or a smaller, you know, network show where they didn't have special effects money. The special effects were great, but the story felt small. So I'm really interested to see where they go from here with the show. Now it's set up for them to go bigger after that, and the first one set up a lot. So I have high hopes for Mandalorian, and I'm not any any of the new stuff, but. I'm going to hold on to my downloaded Despecialized Editions and hand, hang on to all my um, West End Games products. Oh, all right. Hey, thanks, Jason. Uh, hey, man, no, uh, there's no uh, need to apologize. I wasn't trying to come across harsh or be that guy in return. Oh, I was no. just trying to just stick up for old Gene, um, weird dude that he was, but... Uh, yeah, uh, the wagon train, the stars, all that. Uh, you know, it's it is what it is. Um, oh, but you're absolutely correct about the theater releases. Uh, in places with larger cities than, like, say, for instance, uh, Southwest Michigan, uh, there were theaters that you know would re would would have the clout to rerun movies. They had the time and the screens and the and the you know population base to do it. Uh, Battle Creek was not exactly a, a place saturated with like classic film lore. Well, they so. released it uh, the year afterwards in a new, in not a new format, but just re-released and re-ran them for yeah. that summer. It's just one of those things that you know it did so well that you know 20th Century Fox wasn't really that uh, against making more money. I mean, you know, it didn't take any arm twisting to re-show it. But yeah, there was a lot of uh, good times from those. But you know. Uh, Back on the uh, subject of the uh, Star Wars, and the, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of new stuff out there, and there's a lot of good stuff, and I don't think um, hunkering down with the old stuff because you know ah, I hate the new stuff, not that at all. But I think there's a certain point that you reach where you isolate yourself too much, you are kind of hurting yourself. So while I'm not directly pleased myself with the direction of the new films. I didn't have a bad time, and I also uh, think some of the new game stuff is really good because it goes in new directions, and it has a lot more behind it. Uh, West End Games hit a real hard point right after their neat release of the first edition. They came out with the second edition to kind of put the Heir to the Empire in there. And while I agree that it would have been fun to see that, I think uh, Shadows of the Empire would have been a much better film to have made. 
but I don't think it could have been made uh, given the things and the time that it uh, appeared. But there is some points to that. But they got a new uh, franchise that they wanted to put their identity on. And I think that they kind of realized that maybe they need, just like with the, another friend I talked to, one of the uh, guys we've co-hosted with, said, uh, Pat Galligan, talked to me about going to the Star Wars uh, land in Disneyland and Disney World. That, uh, you know, they just thought that if we just put Star Wars on it, people like it. You've got to have a lot of love for it. And I think the Fantasy Flight stuff that's coming out now does have a lot of love. And I definitely like their Age of Rebellion and uh, uh, Edge of Empire. I think those definitely need to be uh, looked at by any serious Star Wars gaming fan. Because the Edge of the Empire especially is really good stuff to play. So, well, yeah, I, I, there's a certain degree to which I suspect that... Uh, you know, I, I smell a boomer marketing executive somewhere in the, the Disney empire. You know, just yep. crusty and old, yelling at the millennial tech crew, going, ah, what is it you kids call it these days? Getting jiggy with it or something like that? Oh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, get this on uh, the Twitter. You know, just, uh, <laughs> you know this, this will get them, you know. And, and just somebody with zero knowledge of fandoms or anything like that. I, I see... Some upper-level executive oversight that, uh, as quick as possible, get some fresh intellectual property out there that is purely Disney-owned content. Yeah. Uh, get us as far away from the history of the series as possible. Uh, and, you know, that's where I think the neglect happened. But I do want to pause on that Mandalorian note, which is, uh, I appreciate the no spoilers. Thanks. We have the same policy ourselves uh, with regard to new content and stuff like that. No no spoilers here. But, gotta say, rave reviews. Uh, it's, it's fast becoming a big favorite uh, for us as well. It's smartly directed, well-casted, uh, you know, just a terrific show overall. And the interesting unbound... Uh, time limits, you know, just letting each director do what they do. I, I hope that's a trend they keep. You know, yeah, I, I'd like I to like see that. them give that level of freedom. But so far, they've had a lot of people deliver some beautiful homages to classic westerns. Yeah, we were just talking about the uh, Pistol of Dollars. Uh, there's an opening scene in Pistol of Dollars where Clint Eastwood makes his first appearance. He goes to collect a bounty that's uh, a guy who's playing in the uh, cards in the cantina that reminded me a lot of that very opening sequence and complete with the wah 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 yeah a pretty clear homage okay they were just riffing on that note hard uh and then of course further some will recognize uh, homages to lone wolf and cub oh uh, uh, yeah which has become quite the internet meme sensation people are in love with that but not very happy to see uh, a property coming out of the new disney star wars fusion that is exciting to so many yeah. people. It's really starting to heal the rift, uh, which admittedly was self-inflicted. You know, well, maybe we'll see a new direction too. And you know, they're going to be doing good stuff on and off. This is going to be hit or miss. Star Wars was, you know, we can uh, nitpick all we want, but we love it. So, oh know. yeah, I mean, Star Wars fan to my core since '77. So, uh, you know, yeah, cannot but- be helped. Definitely, you can check out the uh, Fantasy Flight games. Age of Rebellion really hits that West End games sweet spot. I really, really liked it. Oh, so, all awesome. right. All um, right, yes. Well, enough about Star Wars. 
let's get back into the real business of what we're here for, to talk about games and gaming. So, no, we talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, we're going to take a quick break, pay some bills, and we'll be back at you with our Friday Freeform topic. So, stick around. All right, and we're back. So, what's our topic? Well, if you've already read the intro, you probably know. So, no <laughs> use pulling it along. Yeah, we're going to talk about what is old school gaming. Now, of course, one of our early podcasts, we did talk about what the heck is old school gaming? What does it mean? And we talked about it from a personal level. Now, we're going to kind of do a meta on it. And if you, we're just going to do a little bit of a rant and rave. This, this is the, the mashup. This is a little more... Less of attempting to define what originally constitutes old school and more about how to, you know, what elements of old school can you inject into a new game? How do you resuscitate that old school feel? How do you resurrect this dead horse uh, and make it the anti-paladin's undead horse mount? Yeah, we're not done flogging that dead horse. Yeah. Um, we're going to uh, animate dead on it and flog it some more. So, yes, uh, we're, we're going to pummel this one uh, <laughs> mercilessly. So I, this is a conversation I've had online back in the great forum wars of 03 and 04. <laughs> um, um, yeah, on the Watsy boards, uh, where I got called to retard and, uh, before they delineated the forums to 1st edition, 2nd edition, and 3rd edition. You stay in your corner, and you stay in yours, and never in the train shall they meet, because it was just so vicious, and this is... Yeah, for those of us who play practically anything, I mean, like, you yeah. literally throw a book in front of us, and, oh, boy, that's going to be gaming, you know, for uh, for those of us who are that enthusiastic, it was kind of a difficult time, you know? Yeah, yeah. you know, third edition had come out, and, you know, while not perfect, it was a good step in the right direction for taking the game to a new era, and... There were always complaints, well, it's, you know, challenge ratings, and it just becomes, seems like it's got training wheels, and there's all, characters are just all fangled new powers, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, well, uh, I have a big middle finger to send to those guys, because I'm old school from the trenches, man. I got the scars, and I got the blisters on my fingers to prove it, from thumbing through all those books trying to find things, and I thought 3rd edition was fairly well put together and referenced. It did seem to lack a lot, but... In some ways, uh, that lacking was because it wasn't necessarily always for me. And I'm a person of my own time. And you're never going to take wandering monsters and challenge rating encounters that uh, the players have no way of conquering out of my game. Because I think that it is a part of playing a game where you have to demonstrate that combat is not the only option. Uh, well, that and... Uh, much like life, not everything is your level. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, this brings back the discussion of DM fiat, which, uh, if you're the creative behind the screen, whomsoever you may be, uh, there is nothing in any of these books or in any of these editions that has prohibited you from exercising your creativity at all. At that. That crisis has never come to pass. Yes. That has never existed. Uh, so there, there had been a lot of plaintive cries that, you know, if the nature of the available published material changes, then this is the end of the universe and I have been, you know, proscribed by law. You know, I can no longer do this. No, uh, that, that never happened. That is an elaborate fiction. It's not even an elaborate fiction. It's a ludicrous fiction. 
Uh, what stops a DM from saying, I'm going to decide what types of monsters are likely to be in this region, uh, and then I'm going to write a list of six of them and apply a die six to decide which one they meet if they strike the wandering monster. Yeah, encounter. and you're, I, we that, will, yeah, we will this, be stuck by this rule of thumb where one or two of the encounters should be role-playing or a term of negotiation if it's a really powerful monster, and some should just be outright things you want to avoid or run away from. Yeah, that sometimes the best option for the party is to hide or leave. Uh, that, you know, you can't always win. Uh, that's not always an option. Sometimes the smartest move is to bide your time. We'll come back to this one when we've got a couple of levels under our belt. Right, and that only adds to the style of play. So that's the old school DM that's never been able to be erased by any edition. But I would also say that there is some complaints about 5th edition uh, these days that, you know, poison lacks its uh, potentiality, lethality of the old days. And yeah, you know, the save or die stuff, um, just like level drain. I understand that certain poisons are lethal. Oh, Black Mamba. Very dangerous. Yeah. You go first. Yeah, I get that. But not everything... Poison usually debilitates you over a period of time, and I thought 3rd edition, for the most part, got that right. Uh, yeah, the, the goal is to impede player characters and to add an additional challenge, not to unsportingly slaughter them all instantaneously, like a, a flurry of bolts from a clutch of dark elves. Uh, you know, let's go back to old school. Those darts were... Paralytic in nature, uh, yeah, they push not you to instantaneously sleep. fatal. Which actually bad news for you because the dark elves of, of that era, uh, you know, did not have good plans for you. They they really, you know, they would just boy rupee the crap out of the party and you know haul them off like swag. Which indeed is what they were. Uh, you know, wake up with none of your belongings, and you know, uh, we're just selling you to the highest bidder. And it looks like your mind flare snacks. Uh, yeah, now, they sell you to mine players for a uh, safe passage. Um, now, uh, that was an example of like a classic first edition use of poison, non-fatal. High level encounter, high danger, potential disaster for the party, like campaign ender. But it wasn't intended to be fatal. So I'm, I'm not sure, you know, the complaint doesn't fall on deaf ears. But I don't think it's entirely valid. Uh, yeah, poisoning the way poison works, not the end of the world. No, I think it uh, makes a little bit more sense for the more natural creatures that normally don't always kill. I mean, yes, there are venomous creatures, spiders and uh, scorpions that will, uh, due to their great size and lethality and venomous nature, will uh, usually end up killing you over a period of time. But it's usually, um, in the natural world, it's not that lethal. To begin with, because most of the time, venom is just an advantage. Now, if you wanted to, and pardon the terminology here, considering this is poison, inject a little old school into new school poison rules, uh, there is no reason that a DM cannot tailor a poison to suit themselves. Mm -hmm. there, that is not prohibited in any circumstance. Now, you got very tough players, very high level high level of danger, uh, you know, constitution damage-based poison, you know, which 
you can certainly apply that. That can be... It, oh, yeah, that's it has a lot a, of, of the more lethal poisons do it, constitution damage. And you can enhance the relative strength of those poisons until, voila, uh, you know, it, it's not necessarily no save, but the likelihood of it felling at least one member of the party uh, permanently and or fatally is pretty high. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're in there. You just does, gotta... does not have to be uh, wrote the, from the book. And also remember that even back in the day, the poisons were save or die. And even those poisons, most of the time, the players had well over a 50% chance of saving. And then there was no effect. So I think having, even if you make your save, having a secondary effect kick in makes a little bit more sense for the very lethal poisons. Yeah, that... Uh, the secondary effect being, should you save, uh, the unavoidable effect is illness. Or one con damage, and then you're, you know, oh, I just lost, went over that uh, odd mark of constitution, so now my hit points have been lowered. Yeah, pretty much more or less the same thing. But, you know, I guess the real thing is it's the application. And while we're on the application, like, back in the day at Knights and Knaves, uh, Alehouse, um, I got into a rancorous debate over uh, level draining. Ooh, and they were like, "Oh yeah, a legendary peril of early edition gaming." Yeah, I went with it when it was out, but I just never really kind of understood why it should be a permanent thing. I could definitely understand, you know, the touch of the undead drains your, <clears throat> excuse me, General Ripper, vital essences, but uh, <laughs> gotta maintain the purity of essence. That's right. Uh, That's why I only drink. You never see them unless they drink, do you? <laughs> no, and you won't either. You never see them drink water. That's why I drink straight grain alcohol. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> there is something to say for that it should have an effect. And I think 3rd edition got that sweet spot where it was temporary. You definitely felt it because you took a negative to whatever. To everything, you know, it could be a minus two to all your saves, all your combat rolls. And it was definitely uh, lowering your effectiveness every hit from a vampire or a specter. But, you know, um, <laughs> you could shake it off over a period of time. And never get in a necking session with a succubus. Oh, yeah. The succubus kissing booth? Mm-hmm. Strictly off limits this year. Yeah. I'm not doing that a third time. Oh, yeah. Paladin Lord to first level. Hmm. She said it was for a good cause. Well, I'm glad you helped those impoverished orphans. You know. In the abyss, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, <clears throat> level loss. What was the nature of the rancor in the debate? Uh, well, that I was a third edition fanaticist. Uh, uh, basically saying I was a three-tard. Oh. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to apply this to my first edition games because I always thought it was... seemed it. Seemed arbitrarily too harsh. I mean, losing experience, I can kind of get it that you're diminished, but forever, eh, you know, I think there's uh, some wiggle room there for. I think they got that one right. And well, that the, was the zero save aspect. Was a yeah, that was a, a bit of a problem. I think uh, after the twenty four hours thing, making a save, see if you got them back. That was pretty fair. But yeah, uh, nothing short of restoration, right? And then afterwards, which, oh boy. Yeah, you're not going to find a lot of 14th level clerics wandering around. Oh, well, you know, at least uh, 10th level. But, you know, at the same time, the cost for a restoration spell was prohibitive. I mean, (laughs) 3,500 gold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Old school. 
had its tough elements. And I don't disapprove, uh, depending on the type of party you're working with. If you've got a, a team of players who want that old school feel, uh, once again, ripping on the same note, there is no reason that you can't adjust yeah. downwards. You can you can scale the clock back and change the terms when dealing with one of these creatures. Uh, it's just a very small tweak to the 5th edition rule set for that creature, and keep that as a campaign note, that uh, encounters of this nature, this clause comes into play from old school, where you do not get a save. Uh, or you only get one save, and it's yay or nay, up or down, no 24-hour waiting period, no recovery. You can always adjust it back, winding the clock back decades. Oh, absolutely. To recreate that first edition feel, you know? Uh, and even if you're using it, you can still have the same feel from when the effects come around, because when it's permanent, it's permanent. And oh. then you really feel it. But uh, in the meantime, uh, another thing I would also take to task is people poo-pooing on the 5th edition while they get to rest. Now, I'm going to kind of, this is one where I say that I kind of call into question people who harp on this as one of the detractions from 5th edition. Uh, you know, I get the fact that resting in a party was a big thing. You would go to the point where you had exhausted most of your abilities and spells, and now you needed to withdraw from the dungeon, <laughs> go back, lick your wounds, and heal. Now, you might have a secure camp. The mage or- has nothing left but Nystal's magic aura. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see, I got a scroll of knock and uh, ooh, hold portal. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that'll be good if we get chased out of here. So, there you go. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there were times where it was a big deal uh, that the party would then have to encamp. You know, like the fighters down to eight hit points from, like, 70. Uh. <laughs> they drank up their reservoir of, you know, his head flask of dual infusion healing potions. Uh, you know, when the party is battered and beaten and... Uh, just come through a hard encounter, and they're not in a safe place. That was nerve-wracking. It was intense, and I approve of that. I, I appreciate that aspect of old school. The 5th edition allows for a faster segue, so yeah. that you don't get bogged down in, like, the party is encamped in the caverns of doom, and we're now going to spend the rest of the session navigating our way through how many hit points can we, like, nurse back into the party. Yeah in just eight hours. Now, I know we get all our spells back, uh, but even getting all our spells back, the cleric will probably burn through every cure serious wounds they've got just bringing the fighter back up to par. Uh, These were the questions that would bog down a party for hours in some cases. Now, where I approve, even though 5th edition is very different, they have eliminated that for the benefit of people trying to move towards a conclusion. Uh, if there was a grand plan, you know, get to the bottom of the dungeon and turn off the portal to hell or what have you, it doesn't matter what the plot is. The point is, you can get to the end of the story without being pulled into a 16-hour session of uh, alternately healing, shopping, uh, you know, component gathering. Uh, it, it doesn't turn into a grind fest a la EverQuest, where right, you know, the, you... the, the time limit that this puts on people 
is much better now. I, I think that the new edition gives an appropriate interest towards letting people move towards a conclusion in a timely fashion. So it's a great option. But that doesn't mean you can't tweak it to bring back the old school feel. Well, more to the point is I would also take the task while they're resting. You can still have wandering encounters. There you go. Your first edition feel right there. You're taking that time out. You're interrupted. Well, guess what? You've got to start all over from scratch. Yeah. Having like ritual the, magic. You were um, trying to get 30 minutes of rest to you know, like completely bring everybody hit points back up. Who knew that bugbear guard, like, you know, six rooms away, suddenly had irritable bowel syndrome and had to run for the privy? Oh, man. Um, Crohn's disease is a bitch, man. Yeah, and next thing you know, the party has been interrupted, and they don't get that 30 minutes of rest. And so they got to start over. Also, the other parts are is that um, you bring into other elements, like with ritual magic. I like that, you know, they made it, like, one hour to cast a spell that you normally could prepare. And that's an interesting facet to do identifies and other things that you may not have prepared for. Yeah, that these are uh, sit-down sessions where, unlike your memorized high-speed spells, uh, this is the stuff that if you have the time and the leisure to do this, like, you know, we're we're camped somewhere extremely safe behind four walls, uh, the roof over our heads... Uh, the mage has the time and leisure to do this without impeding the rest of play. Uh, and you can speed through that rather than nitpicking every last detail. Uh, I think it was a very pleasing adjustment. Yeah, and nobody says that, uh, again, all rules are optional. Correct. This, you know, back to that fundamental point. Uh, the game is full of optional material. Things that you can exercise your discretion regarding whether you want that to be a facet of gameplay or not. And I highly recommend exercising one's own discretion. Shape your campaign to suit you. And um, the next point would be going to the power creep of characters. Now, throughout the editions, from the original box set to first edition to second edition, players have progressively become a little bit more powerful with each step. Now, third edition did amp that up quite a bit. Mm. It went up to 11. But I will offer this. If you look at where fighters, where fighting men started, they started with die 8 hit points. Then, second edition said, hey, you get a die 10. And I thought that was a nice thing. I thought that was a nice, like, oh, you know what? That's a nice idea. Because fighters seem like they need that little extra edge. Well, and, wasn't that the uh, original first edition? Yeah, that was, the, that was the first advanced. First edition. Uh, first advanced A&D&D edition bumped the fighter up a notch. Uh, and it stayed true all the way down. Yeah, yeah and it's still there. Um, that, you know, uh, with second edition, you got uh, kits that gave you a little extra perk here and there. But the big thing is, is that now people in uh, some of the old grognards kind of convention with, I agree with Jolly Blackburn on this. Okay, Grognard. Okay, Boomer. Um, he uh, he was retorting to somebody who was uh, hounding him on uh, Hackmaster rules, which I'm not going to get in here, but the most important thing what he was pointing out is that through all editions, players, um, like in the original edition, eight, uh, just Dungeons and Dragons from the white box, if you hit zero hit points, that was it. Goodbye. Now later, yes, Eldritch Wizardry, like you, could go to negative hit points. 
some that caused some consternation right there. Ah, oh, you know, the players are spoiled. Back in the day when you just lost your points, you were just dead, you know. If you did you know, but there were a lot of house rules that like if somebody got to you with a healing potion or a cure spell within just a few moments or that next round, you could be revived. And then AD and D firmly formalized it with going to negative hit points. And second edition would carry the same thing. Now Pathfinder kind of put it that you went to your negatives in your constitution score, then you were dead. And now you have death saves you make every round in 5th edition. Hmm. So, you know, yes, our players a little harder to kill. Okay, I'll buy that. But at the same time, the point is, is that players still die. There is no guarantee just because you get a death save that you're going to make every single one. Yeah, treating these things as though they're absolutes that, uh, you know, like the loss of a character is now completely 100% avoidable. There's no way it can happen. I would beg to differ. Uh, you know, i, I got to say that there have been some moments where the uh, the DM for the 5th edition campaign I'm in has been very kind uh, because the only way to include some of these really dangerous encounters is to have some bolt holes uh, that would allow the party to have at least a shot at like getting out of it alive. Uh, not necessarily via combat, but one way or another, there should be some way to navigate your way through the encounter, at least. doesn't necessarily mean killing the creature, uh, but it does mean you know there, there should be a path forward, not just simply, there's nothing you can do, give up, go home, quit. No, uh, there have been a lot of near deaths, and... Uh, including some total rewrites of new characters and things like that. So uh, while it may not have what I would consider the exact feel of old school, it's not trying to, uh, at least not in that campaign. Uh, but it does have certain experiences that are very familiar to me. Uh, and luckily, as an old school player, I I do not flinch easily at the thought of, like, this character might be toast. Mm -hmm. uh, so long, Throud the Brave. Yep. Next up, uh, Phineas T. Bumblehump, Hapling Rogue Extraordinaire. Yeah, yeah. You never know what's going to happen. You uh, never know, and that's half the fun. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, I just put a post on my gaming advice today. Always keep uncertainty in your games, because it's necessary. And uh, because... One of the things I found out when you map out every consistent detail, and I'm going to go back to a, another game here, RuneQuest, um, Griffin Mountain. I never run it for these cats around here. Maybe get around to it one day. Um, but Griffin Mountain set up a wonderful campaign with lots of random events, and nothing was mapped out for you. There was no singular way. Yeah, maybe you did have to go to this person to talk to that, uh, to go learn this bit of information to go here, to learn how to get to there. But that's just part of a scenario that's built, baked into the campaign setting. You have to sometimes, there are moments that are called um, forks in the river that come to a head, and, you know, they're loggerheads where, yeah, you kind of have to do this thing. This is all roads will lead you to this. But maybe you don't take the river. Maybe there's another way around. You know, there are a lot of spells and abilities. And that campaign setting that I always wanted to run for these cats but never got around to it really invested me in the thought that 
there's always a way around it if the players look for it or think about it. And that influenced me quite a bit. So I always give a hats off to that campaign pack back from the old days as, you know, this is what's happening right now. And that's kind of a mark to uh, Chaosium and Greg Stafford and uh, Charlie Crank and all those guys where they were already thinking about that years before now this would become an industry standard. So I don't understand why having ideas where, oh, I don't want to have a a railroad story. Well, hey, hey, hold on. Nobody wants that. And that's not what we're talking about here. But, you know, maybe to learn the legends of, you know, Wind Fury, the Blessed Blade of the Windseeker, you have to find out the lore. You have to find some clues. And I don't disapprove either. I I gotta say, uh, there is a way to fuse plot-driven play into old school style, which it can be combative, it can be bloody, uh, but you're moving towards an elegant conclusion, and that is not non-existent in the early editions of D&D. Well, let's uh, take a segue and talk about uh, last week's session with War of the Crown. Now, I'm not going to belabor this, but there are many ways that the players currently in the city of Zamar could face overcoming many of the challenges ahead of them. And each one is laid out in this adventure path as, you know, there are certain point key points you're going to have to hit. There are certain items that you're going to have to need to know about or acquire to get to the end. But how you do it, in what order you do it, completely up to you. And it forces the DM to be a creative thinker, even using a published scenario. That where the outcome isn't, well, yes, you're going to have this big showdown in the Temple of Abdar. Yeah, the showdown is going to happen. But the path you take to get to that showdown and the tools you have available to you to make it easier or that might, in their absence, make it harder, uh, that's up to the player characters. I mean, they could go for the bums rush and charge right in, guns blazing and all that. Uh, But that might be a far harder road to hoe than, say, for instance, taking your time, doing some background investigation, uh, removing some of the potential assistance and aid that might find its way into those final battles. Uh, If you, you know, cut the underpinnings, so to speak, Mm -hmm. if you've got your timed charges there on the foundational supports and one by one the structure crumbles, you know, and then they find themselves alone. Uh, Your final enemies don't have any support to call on. Uh, It puts you in a much more actionable position right at the Mm -hmm. end. Now, let's give it to Pathfinder's War of the Crown. Uh, They have consistently delivered a product that uh, has this level of optional in its ordinary, baked into its ordinary play. It's made to be a module series where you continually make decisions that will impact the way the rest of the game goes for you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I couldn't approve more. It just has been a very exciting and very interesting. Yeah, that leads back to kind of my point was, hey, you know, Chaosium Cats were doing this like, what, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're bringing the sexy back. You know, this was when Griffin Mountain came out. A lot of people, uh, you know, were playing D&D. But a few played RuneQuest. I also enjoyed um, uh, people who talk about, well, you know, back in old school we didn't have all these uh, plot encounters. I also will bring up another Chaosium game. 
uh, the Stormbringer Elric game. They oh. had a couple sweeping campaigns uh, built in where there were things that you had to do and places you had to go directly. And you were told this, like, you're going to have to go to Tainlorn. But most of the players in my group went as, we got to go to Tainlorn? Fuck yeah! I'm on board. Right near the Red Archer. Hey, I like that guy. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, uh, beloved Tainlorn, uh, the lost city. Yeah. city between places uh, where anybody can go for a little rest. A little, you know, the, the uh, Elric verse of uh, Shambhala. Yeah. And... You know, you had... Oh, also, hey, I, what do you mean i got to talk to Ariok, Prince of Demons? I don't want to. I don't want to. Is your name Elric? No. no. Well, he's going to gotta be pissy. Yeah, yeah, he's not going to like you either. <laughs> he barely likes Elric. Yeah. That, Wait, know. he calls Elric his beloved. and Yeah, well, uh, that's the creepy part of Ariok, but... Yeah, that... All powerful chaos lord. Well, not all powerful, but uh, Zeombard's Queen of Swords would have something to say about that. Yeah. Now, uh, the Elric verse being what it was, uh, somewhat different campaign play, but the point was they too wrote uh, convoluted plots that mixed the ability to go to a wide variety of places and do a great variety of things with an ultimate point that, like, this is the the main thrust of this story, and oh. you are embroiled in the midst of it, and how you handle it is really up to you. So the, the essentials were already there. Yeah, and it's it's one of the big things that marked those games as so influential to a lot of people who read that. Also, I'd also like to point out, and this is a little bit of a stretch, I know, but Paranoia. Ah, now, uh, this is one where... The player characters are, in fact, frequently helpless. Yeah, you are now railroaded completely from one end to the other. But again, clever play. As they like to say, pressure makes diamonds. So does it make desperate troubleshooters who think outside of the box. And, you know, you can sometimes go to your cryptic alliance. You get somebody like in the Death Leopards and go, Hey, can you guys, you know, just make a... Let's just make a, a sudden flash riot in this area, you know, with everybody throwing paint bombs everywhere, laced with uh, some of those happy drugs <laughs> that we've been saving up for that special occasion. Because <clears throat> I want to see the Vulture Squad guards just literally hugging themselves in a corner, contemplating their navels for like the next two Yeah, with hours. flashing lights and loud music. <clears throat> and that was one way that even the uh, high programmer, the game master, had to kind of step back and say, I'll allow it. Because it's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, if it's, you know, that's the whole point, is that, <laughs> will you use your powers for good? No. Well, then at least use them for awesome. Awesome! <laughs> you use your powers for it. Good or awesome? Awesome! All I the time. Too, it's awesome. And so, saying that, like, a lot of, uh, you know, modern scenarios kind of have these, uh, programmed areas. Sure, you know, well, I guess if you really want to get to it, Village of Homeland, I mean, you could do many things besides go to the moat house, but to the moat house is where the real crux of the written material that you bought and prepared for go. But if the players like say, hey, we're going to listen to uh, Bernd and Rufus' uh, stories and we're going to go apply to the King of Periandi and see if we can get ourselves ensconced in some kind of knights or mucky mucks in that area. Well, then the game has just kind of shrugged their shoulders and say, hey, that's a good idea, too. 
Yeah, I mean... Maybe if the king says, well, go find out what's going on in that mo- darned moat house that everybody keeps talking about, and then come see me for your earldom. Yeah, here's your shakedown, kids. Get in that moat house. Oh, you, one way or another. Dang it. I don't want to go to the moat house. <laughs> I want to stay home. Oh. One way or another, as EDM, you run into a lot of scenarios where the players do not do what you expect. Or they do not pick up on the hint. Uh, and adapting to that and finding a way to work around and get them back on track is actually an art form. It, and that is the hallmark of old school right there. It is one of Whether the, you're doing homebrew and you prepared this elaborate labyrinth of the Wraith Lord Monfear. And the players want to spend their time shopping the whole thing was designed based on M.C. MC Escher. Or, uh, yeah, it was yeah, M.C. Escher. M.C. Escher. Escher's drawings. So, <laughs> Dude, you need to cut back on your art class. Um, <laughs> so, you know, while, while I take the task several points here or bring them up, I'm not trying to say that if you enjoy the reverse of that or you enjoy an older edition, hey, man, that's good on you. I don't uh, have anything to say bad about that because... You're doing your thing and you're doing your groove. That's what gaming is all about. Play to what makes you and your group happy. The only people you have to answer to is not random asshats on the internet, but it's the people you sit down week after week to game with. And even if you're gaming in a multifaceted, free-flow area of stream and Twitch gaming, you know, listen to your players still. And I think the old-school ethic will carry through no matter what if that's what you embody and that's what you like. And if I'm going to, like, pull the Ouroboros here and, like, have the end meet the beginning, uh, my end point would also be what I, I hit on before, that the hallmark of old school had a lot to do with the DM's custom interpretations of material. Uh, sure, the published material was fixed. You know, I mean, it was this rigid wrote absolute here you've been handed a package deal of stuff to put your players through what happens with it from that point uh, is between the dm and god Mm -hmm. Uh, it just the adjustments you make to it the notes you take the tweaking of monsters uh, the altering of specific encounters or traps uh, to customize an area in the event that like say for instance players have been through this before and I do not want them to be without surprises. Uh, I, I personally am a huge fan of customizing almost everything you work with. Uh, not a lot. Doesn't have to be a radical rewrite that takes you six months, uh, you know, in a cabin, uh, pulling a, you know, Jack Nicholson in The Shining moment where you can only type, you know, while you're surrounded by snow until you slowly go mad. No. No, it doesn't have to be that severe. But you can make some very small strategic adjustments to any written material uh, using almost any game set or system to increase or reduce the challenges accordingly. Um, And that is old school as F. Yeah, just like Julia Childs, when on live TV, she dropped a pot roast, and then she picked it up, put it back in the pan, and then smiled at the camera and said, Remember, when you're in the kitchen, you're the only one that knows what happens. Yeah. (laughs) Remember, you're the only one in the kitchen. (laughs) Right, the DM, you know, that's the only one. The players will never know. Yeah. 
that if you if you've done your job, no one is going to know uh, the mysteries behind the creation. And then if somebody says, "Hey, that's not the way it's supposed to go in the module," then you say, "Gotcha." Yeah, busted. Jump. Uh, <laughs> and that's why it's not going the way it's written. Because <laughs> uh, you know too much. Too many sneaky peeks. Yeah, uh, but to inject old school gaming into new games, that's where the DM hat has to come on. You, you've got to Ro- you've got to a sit down. Hat? Yeah, it should be a point. Yeah, it should be. In a robe with little stars and, and swirlies, yeah. you know, and moons. Uh, no, uh, the gist of it is that that DM prep that we talked about a long time ago in one of our early sessions is intrinsic to old school. And tweaking and adjusting material, increasing difficulty, uh, increasing danger levels, uh, altering very small portions or using a rule flexibly, like this indicates that they would have a bonus of, uh, say for instance, four. Uh, Well, I'm going to tweak that down to a two. You know, just those little tiny adjustments are the DM's responsibility. And the critical mistake that I think people have started making is the notion that everything that is published is supposed to be played as is. It's not a collection of ideas and possibilities. It's being treated like it's holy writ. And that is not the case. It has never been the case. It has always been a collection of recommendations, an easy guidebook, a a pathfinder, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you know, for you to start with. It It is the origin point for your journey. It is not the final destination. So that would be my, my big end point. All right. Well, I think that sums it up pretty nicely. Not, not too bad, no. I hope. All right. Well, at that point, I think with that will do it for us. I think we beat this horse once again into the grave. <laughs> now we'll burn it and wait till the next time we have to resuscitate it. Uh, this time, hallowed ground and you know, keep the necromancer away. All right. But again, I imagine you might have some questions and many concerns. Well, you probably do. Oh, you should. You should. And, of course, you can get a hold of us on our Facebook page. Leave us a comment there. Or, of course, you can download the Inker app and uh, leave a message for us, and we'll put you on the air and make you potentially someday maybe (laughs) semi-famous. All right, yeah. Um, Yeah, just send us a message. We like hearing from you, so we'll just play you on air, uh, as we call it, air here. I don't know. And uh, we'll uh, comment back at you. So uh, keep those uh, call-ins and comments coming. But until next time, may may the dice dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.